0: All right, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, today we're going to look at verses 14 through 22 as we finish up our series of messages on uh, the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then uh, next time we're going to get right into uh, chapter 4. I tell you, chapters 4 and 5 are some of the most amazing uh, piece of literature that you will ever read. Some say that Revelation 4 and 5 is the apex it's the very pinnacle chapters of all the apocalypse. And so next week, I look forward to sharing those, that, that message with you. But today, uh, we're going to wrap up our study in the seven churches with this church, the church at uh, Laodicea. If you remember next, uh, last week, we talked about and we examined the city of Laodicea. And we looked at those geographical and historical viewpoints that will help us in our interpretation. We also looked at uh, the church, how it was started and planted, who perhaps the church planters were. And then we looked at this threefold uh, description of Jesus Christ that he gave to the church at Laodicea. And remember that each time he spoke of who he was, it was a direct rebuke to the church at Laodicea for who they were not. For example, he says, I am the amen, I am the faithful and the true witness, and I am, as he said, the beginning of the creation of God. So I want to look at, uh, go back to verse 14, and then i want to go all the way through the end of the pericope or the paragraph that we're going to study, verse 22, and then we're going to share a message with you entitled, The Lukewarm Church. Of all the churches that I've studied, the church that most parallels our generation in our churches in america today it's this church church at laodicea they were very wealthy they were very affluent and yet there's this graphic i mean graphic picturesque image of jesus christ on the perimeter of his church revelation 3:20 is not really written for unbelievers it's written for the church because jesus has been kicked out of his own church. He's standing outside knocking on the door saying, Hello, church of Laodicea, you have let the world and the influence and the ideology of the secular community around you, you've let it infiltrate your your community, and you've jettisoned me. You've kicked me out. And so the Lord is knocking on the door of his own church asking if they will let him back in so he could come in and forgive them and heal them. I tell you guys, uh, life is too short for Jesus not to be in church, amen? <laughs> I mean, we want him. We want his presence. We want his divine presence, to, I mean, just permeating in our, in our church. We want the presence of the Holy Spirit to be palpable in our assembly. When we come together, we want, more than anything else, we want God. We want God to be real and present and alive in our services, and so let's, let's read it. I'll read it out loud as you follow along on the screen. As Jesus says, to the angelos or to the messenger, many people believe, myself including, to the, to the pastor, to the leader of this church of Laodicea, write these things. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish... You were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you uh, out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy. And and that verb there is very interesting. When it says, I have become, that is a perfect tense verb. In the perfect tense, in the language of the New Testament, it, it refers to an action that happened in the past that has present-day ramification, and it also has future implication. All that's tied up in that one verb, I have. I have become. You see, the church of Laodicea says not only are we wealthy, but we are currently wealthy, and as far as we can tell, we're going to continue to be wealthy. And by the way, this is not a judgment against wealth. In fact, God blesses many people with means and wealth and finance. The problem here is when wealth and affluence and monetary things usurp the place of God in our lives, then we got a problem. Then we've got a manifest problem of idolatry, and that is what's happening in the church at Laodicea, so much so that Jesus has exited the church, and he has left them in a very, very difficult situation. You say, well, I am wealthy, and I don't need anything. Perhaps they're saying, you know, Jesus, we can get along Just as fine with or without you, because we've got everything under control. And Jesus says, but you don't know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I counsel you to do the following. Buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may really see. As many as I love, phileo, phileo, I love you with a brotherly kindness, a tenderness of love. Isn't that just like Jesus? I mean, his own church has jettisoned him and and removed him, if you will. And yet he implores us, he implores them, listen, as many as I love, I'm going to rebuke you and chasten you, but be zealous and repent that is always God's remedy for our problem it is to repent it is somebody said you know if you ever feel like God his fellowship is not sweet it's not imminent it's not like it used to be then somebody moved and guess who moved God didn't move we move we remove ourselves from his fellowship and his presence and Jesus comes and he says I'm knocking at the door if anybody hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me to him who Nikon, Nike, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And then Jesus says, "He who has an ear, acoustic, acoustic, who has acoustics, who has hearing capacity, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So today, the Spirit of God is saying a lot to the church at Laodicea, and I believe he's saying a lot to the modern-day church in America, a church that has affluence, has wealth, but oftentimes that surplants or supplants the, the ministry, the very presence of Christ, and Jesus says, this is what i got for you. I've got a remedy for you. i got a prescription for you to get you back into fellowship with me and get me back into the very heartbeat and the center uh, of your uh, assembly." And so, first of all, we're going to look at the words of exhortation. Jesus exhorts this church, and he has his actions, what he's going to do. And then, number two, he's going to call upon them to do certain things. So, if you're taking your notes there in your outline, first of all is exhortation. This is a word of Jesus exhorting them. And some of you are like, well, why, why is Jesus exhorting them? Why is he rebuking them? Why is he getting in into their affairs? I mean, well, here's why, because it's, it's his church. I mean, there would be no ecclesia, there would be no body of Christ if there were not a Christ. I'm afraid sometimes, if we're not careful, we can just do business as usual in our local churches. Whether we have the presence of God or not, it really doesn't matter. We just go through the motions. We come, we meet, we sing, we greet, and then we hear a little message, and then we go out. I'm telling you guys, more than anything else, I believe, And God is saying, I want to be real and palpable and present in your assembly. And I want to share with you the things that are on my heart. So here's his action that he does. Okay, First of all, he gives them counsel. Jesus counsels them on some very important things. If you'll notice in the text, he says, I counsel you to purchase from me genuine gold, refined gold. Now, that is a powerful statement because... They knew about wealth. They knew about gold. They were a very lucrative city, as we looked at last week. They were uh, placed right there on that north-south corridor, east-west. It was a a city of commerce. It was a city of banking. It was a city of affluence. And yet Jesus says, but I counsel you to buy from me a pure gold that uh, does not lose uh, its value. You know, as I was thinking about this text, I thought to myself, I said, you know, so many of us have riches, and so many of us, especially in America, we, we, we are blessed, but I don't know about you, but I would trade everything and anything I have, as long as I know I've got the sweet presence of God in my life. I mean, I, I don't want anything to take the presence of Jesus and Him leading me. So how do you go from how do you go from where they are to um, where they were to, to where they are? Well, listen, they... You know, they didn't, they didn't get there overnight. I was thinking about how we sometimes do, do the same thing. Uh, we we kind of get in a, in, a, in, a bad, in a bad place, but it, but it never happens uh, overnight. How do we get from a place where we're walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, and then the next thing you know, Jesus, he's, he's, he's really not the centerpiece uh, of our faith. Well, you know, I, I, this past week, I, I was so blessed. I had an opportunity to... Uh, to, to meet with this couple, and, and some of you joined us Wednesday night. And this couple, I, as I just watched them and listened to them, I I was reminded of what they have there in North Africa, it, it, is they have persecution, they have crisis, they have difficulty, and as a church, they really don't have a lot of what we have. They don't have influence and affluence and those kind of things. But I'm telling you, Rob and Jamie, they had this joy, they had this this palpable joy in their lives. And I was thinking, this is, this is amazing. But watch this. The joy and the gold, the 18-plus karat gold of faith that they have, it always comes through refinement. It always comes through difficulty. And Now watch this. The church at Laodicea, they had removed themselves from difficulty. They had, they had manufactured a church in such a way that their wealth their affluence and their influence, it allowed them to operate in a way that they removed themselves from any kind of trial and, and difficulty. Because here's the deal, when you're walking with the Lord and you're really serving Him, you will have difficulty. And through that difficulty, God refines us, He purifies us, and He allows us to see this gold within us that is precious in His sight. So, Jamie was telling about how you know, she's serving the Lord, and they're there in, in, in North Africa, and things are just, you know, they're rocking along, and they have their ministry, and all of a sudden, she's walking through the kitchen, and she slips, and she falls, and breaks her ankle in three places. Now, that, that's bad anywhere, but it's especially bad in some countries. She had to be extricated out of her country, and go to another country in Europe, and there she had her surgery, she had multiple surgeries, she had Months of healing and recuperation. And I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, you know, Lord, what, what is the deal with that? Why would you allow her, of all people, to be injured and to be. Do y'all ever ask those questions? I mean, am I, am I just the only one? It's just, do y'all ever think, God, why? Why, why would you do that? I mean, there, there are only 150 Christians among this whole entire people group that they're trying to reach. And and, and and there they are serving you. And Lord, she slips and she busts up her ankle and she has surgery. But here's, here's the answer. As she began to share, she, this, this radiant joy came over her face. And she said, I can't tell you the number of doctors and nurses I got to share Jesus with in Europe. And then she came back to her country, and she meets this little boy who has cancer, and he has surgery, and he has this huge scar on his stomach. And and she says, well, look at here, and she shows him her her scars on her ankle. And and she reaches over, and she lays hands on him. She prays over him in Jesus' name. And guess what happened? Jesus healed him of his cancer. I mean, and I'm thinking, wow. Oh, you see, these, these kind of things, they happen, but they don't happen unless, I don't know how else to say it. We just have sometimes have to go through the fire. We have to go through the crucible of difficulty and pain. And in those moments, we can do one of two things: we can say, "Thanks, but no thanks, God. I'm tired of this," or we can stay in there and watch God do some amazing things. So Jesus is counseling them. He's saying, "Listen to me. You don't, you don't, you don't really need that gold. Here's the kind of gold that you need: refined gold, an 18 karat plus golden faith that I manufacture and I produce." through the vicissitudes and through the trials of life, okay? That's, that's the first thing he counsels them to do. All right, let's notice the next thing. He says, I'm going to counsel you not only to do that, but to buy white garments. Now, this is, this is so fascinating because remember their location. They had this black, glossy wool, and they would take it and manufacture it and sell it for a lot of money. And so when Jesus said, you know, what, what I'm counseling you is, is, to, is to have the garments of, of righteousness. Now, these white garments, Revelation 19.8, see this on the screen? It says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so, it, it just shows the omniscience of Jesus. He, he knows that wealth and gold are important. He knows that this black glossy wool that they manufacture, it is important. And so Jesus uses that as a platform to say, but I counsel you to put on and to don true robes of of righteousness and clean uh, acts of of my will. And so you see that as as he understands them. But notice the next one. This one to me is fascinating. He says, I counsel you, in verse 18, to anoint your eyes with eye salve. Now, some of y'all are reading that, and you weren't here last week, and you're going, what in the world has that got to do with the church at Laodicea? Well, remember last time we talked about how, Brother Terry, I'm struggling. If you could get me up just just a little bit, maybe monitors or something. I'm I'm having a hard time. I can't hear myself. Some of y'all are going, it's okay, Bryce. It's okay. Boo. Are you in there? Hey, I'm in there. I hear it. That's, that's marvelous. Thank you. So, ophthalmology. They have this center of eye salve where they develop medicinally. They have this eye salve that you put. Somehow, it brings healing to the eyes. And Jesus knows that. And he says, so, I counsel you to have genuine eye salve, the kind of eye salve that gives you a uh, uh, laser-like vision so that you will see me and and understand me. Here here it is in in, in verse 18. I counsel you, buy this gold for me, these white garments, and this eye salve so that you may really, you may genuinely see. Isn't it interesting how the Lord takes these three indigenous aspects of Laodicea Indigenous just simply means it it comes from and represents that culture. The wealth, the manufacturing, and then the medicine. And he uses all of that to counsel them to come to something much more precious and of a higher value. I like what Robert Thomas says in his commentary. He says, spiritually speaking, the church was seriously lacking in these three corresponding areas. Genuine faith, that is gold. A disposition toward righteousness, that is white garments, and a discernment of spiritual matters, that is their eye south. So, number one, Jesus counsels them. Number two, he says, I love you, I, I phileo you, I love you with a brotherly kindness and love. Even though uh, you have jettisoned me, and even though you have you have cast me aside, if you will, I I beckon you, I I love you, I'm I'm asking you, I'm I'm asking you, invite me back into your church and back into your life. Number three, he says, he rebukes them. And this rebuke is of a verbal nature. In verses 16 and 17, uh, you you really see it. He says, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say you're wealthy and you don't need anything, but you need everything. You're genuinely, spiritually naked and, and blind and destitute. So you see the verbal nature of his rebuke. Number four, he chastens them. Now this word is a different word than the word rebuke. This word chasten has, it has the connotation of a pain, a difficulty that God will bring about in their lives. It's much more than verbal. It can be emotional, it can be spiritual, it can be financial, it can be physical. And so what Jesus is doing is, he's saying, listen, if you don't recognize me and honor me for who I am, then I will genuinely strip you bare of everything that I have given unto you. I wonder who I'm preaching to today. I wonder if there's someone here in our assembly at, at Great Hills Baptist Church. And it's no accident that you have walked into these premises. You may be a guest. You may be a longtime member. But, um, but your love for Christ has grown cold. It's waxed cold. No, no, no. You've got everything on the outside. Everything looks beautiful. Everything looks wealthy. Everything looks like it's just fine. But on the inside, you, there's been a departure. And your love for Jesus Christ has grown cold or it's grown uh, lukewarm. And so the Lord says, I love you, but I rebuke you, and I bring you back to myself. So notice the church's actions. There are two things that Jesus says, this is what I want the church to do. Now, y'all, thank you all for staying with me. I'm talking fast because i got a lot to say. I mean, there's just a lot of things I want to I get through in this message. So the church's actions, number one, he tells them to be zealous. Do you see that? He says, I want you to present tense. Active voice, imperative language. I want you to be, and the Greek word is zelue. And it sounds a lot like our English word zeal. And, and it's also very similar to the word in verses 15 and 16, zestos, where they translate it as hot. Jesus says, I want you to be zealous for me and the things of God. would it, you know, would it be awesome to live a life where we are constantly zealous and on fire for the things of God. If we were to do a zealous barometer uh, meter this morning, and I were to ask you, or more importantly, the Spirit of God were to ask you today, where is your zeal for the things of God? Is your, is your zeal, I mean, where is it on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say? On a scale of 1 to 10, your zeal, your fervor, your excitement, your passion, your joy, I mean, where, where are you? Great, great hills, where, where would you be? On that barometer of one being the weakest and ten being the greatest. Well, many in that congregation had lost their zeal. And Jesus said, I'm asking, you to, I'm asking you to restore that zeal. And then number two, he says, repent. He says, I give you this command to turn from your anemic, your lethargy, your complacency, your lukewarmness. And come back, come back to me. I don't know what it is about these African countries, but I've been thinking a lot about them. I don't think the Lord's sending me uh, over there, but I'm, if he is, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But I've been there a number of times, and, and I, I remember a trip I took about 10 years ago, and I was with a family, a medical doctor, and I can tell you where they were because they're not there anymore. They were in Chad, uh, Africa, 99.999-something Islam, okay? And there they are. Uh, sharing the gospel and and bringing people to faith in Jesus. He's a medical doctor and and his wife. They have since left Chad to go to the Middle East. I mean, these are some Green Berets, Navy SEALs for Jesus. Would you not agree? I mean, they left North Africa to go maybe even to a more difficult place in, in the Middle East. And I tell you guys, God is doing supernatural, miraculous things in the darkest of places. And I don't know what that does for you, but it it greatly encourages me in my my faith. For example, he sent me an email and he shared with me. They they have this this believer and he has a code name and his name is Shamu. Why would you name somebody Shamu? I have no idea. But he is basically an Apostle Paul in this Chadian country. And so Shamu has been gloriously saved and, and he is going out among his own people and he's going from village to village and he's sharing the gospel and he's seeing God do supernatural things. Now this is going to upset the spiritual equilibrium of some of our brethren today, but I just got to go ahead and tell you, this is a miraculous thing I'm about to share with you and it's true. My medical doctor friend sent it to me. So Shamu and his, his band of believers, they ride into these different communities and these communities... Uh, they're, they're in drought, they have no water, and, and they need it desperately for their crops. And so they have brought in the Imans and the Holy men's and the marabouts, and they brought them in, and they, they sprinkled their fields with their holy Quranic water, and nothing has happened. And so they come in, and they say, well, do you mind if we just share and pray uh, in the name of Jesus? And of all the neighborhoods and all the fields, only three of them said, it's okay. We give you permission to pray in Jesus' name. And guys, I'm not making this up. Of all the fields and all of the, the gardens, and only three received water and produced a massive crop. That's just miraculous stuff. That's, that's the kind of stuff that only, that only God can, can do. And, and, I, and I was reading that and I was thinking, man, there's, there is zeal. There is fervor. There is walking with the Lord in the midst of, of difficulty. I'm reading The Insanity of Obedience by uh, Nick Ripkin, and I'm, I'm telling you, that is an intense, intense book, but it's so fascinating. And he, and he makes this appeal to the church in America, and he's kind of like a prophet to us in America. He said, you know what? God, everything God did in the Bible, God is capable of doing today in our culture. Do you all believe that? Do you believe everything that God did, God still can do? Well, Ripken goes on to say, what we need to do in America... Is we need to take on an international missionary uh, viewpoint in light of the in light of just where we are spiritually, and he says we we need to pray and ask God to do what He's doing in foreign fields that He would do the same thing among Muslims in America that He is doing overseas. Here's what God's doing overseas: many, many thousands of Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of dreams and revelations and visions. They're having these visions of this holy man, and then the Christians will come in and share the gospel with them and they give their lives to Christ. He says, we need to be open to that kind of supernatural, miraculous working of God in America. And I said, Amen. Why why aren't we open and say, yes, God, if that's what you want to do, then do it. He says, that's for the Muslims. What about the Hindus? He said many, many millions of Hindus are coming to faith in Jesus overseas. And you know what God is using to bring them to faith? It's not the dreams and the visions. It's miraculous healings. It's physical, miraculous healings where God heals and entire communities and and families come to faith in Jesus. When I was in India just last year, earlier this year, we went into a home and this lady... She was demon possessed, I mean she was full of demons and her life was just about snuffed out and taken by this demonic presence in her life and somebody came in, and they prayed over in Jesus' name, cast out those demons, and do you think she got saved? Well, yeah, buddy, she sure did. She gave her life to Christ, and then she turned to her husband, and she said, Honey, you need this God. This is the one true God. He says, Honey, you're right. He gets saved. The whole house gets saved. And we get to go into that home and to see, in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all this this demonic influence, there you have this little family of, of God, this little family of Righteousness. Hey, listen, guys, God, God's not dead. God's still working miracles. And if we would just believe in America, I think God would do supernatural things like he's doing all over this world. So this is the words of, of exhortation. Jesus said, I counsel you, I rebuke you, I, I love you, I chasten you. Now, church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to believe, I want you to have zeal, and I want you to repent. And then number two, he gives a word of invitation. And this is verse 20, and I love this verse, don't you? Where Jesus says, Behold. Do you see it in verse 20? Uh, the word behold there, would you underline that in your Bibles for just a minute? That is, that is literally an imperative verb. Hey, it means listen. It means pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Behold, he said, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice... And he opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. Uh, that, that word dine, dipno, in, in the Greek, it refers to the evening meal. The meal where you take your shoes off, you sit down, you recline, and you just have sweet times of fellowship. You're not in a hurry, you're not in a rush. But and Jesus is saying, that's what I want with you. I want to come in and dine with you, and again, guys, in some ways, it's such, a, it's such a devastating picture in my mind that the Lord of His very church is on the outside and asking if His presence can come on on the inside. And I look at that and I say, how, how does a church, how does a Christian, how does a nation, how do we go from spiritually on fire for the Lord, where there's times of spiritual awakening, where our churches are packed in the 50s and the 60s and the early 70s? How do we go from Jesus being front and center, and man, our nation being on fire for the gospel? How do we go from that to what we have today? How do we we get there? Here's how we get there. We go through this incremental compromise here, compromise there, rationalization here, rationalization there, until eventually we get to the point where we're lukewarm and Jesus is not in our church, but he's standing outside of our church. I tell you, the devil's very creative. And by the way, he does not mind waiting on you. He is very creative, and he does not mind waiting on this church. He constantly waits for an opportunity to slip in, and let us just go the route that many, many churches go to compromise and filling up the buildings and doing the kind of things that draw a crowd. But eventually, over time, I tell you, it, you just see these incremental steps of the evil one. Until he takes a person whose heart is genuinely on fire. And then by the time he's through with them, they've totally walked away from the Lord. And I'm thinking about a man. And some of you would, would know his, his name. Ralph Waldo Emerson. A very gifted young man whose dad was a prominent pastor there in Boston. And, and he too was going to be a pastor. And so he went to Harvard University and he was studying for the ministry. And, and, and even as he was studying for the ministry, he began to have doubts. He began to have doubts. about, And this is the early 1800s. Doubts about the supernatural aspects of Christianity. And so Satan had already kind of got a wound, a scratch in his spirit, if you will. And I just want you to know something. I've seen this so many times as a pastor. If you don't deal with that scratch and that wound, it will become a gaping hole in your spirit. I've seen this thousands of times. There are people who are on fire for the Lord, and somebody wounds them. Somebody hurts them in church of all places. Somebody says something. Somebody does something. And, and for a while, they're like, oh, I'm okay, it really didn't bother me, but it really, really bothered them. And they don't do anything about it, okay? Don't do anything about it. And there's this wound here, and time may go by weeks, months, maybe even years. And then you just see those people get irate. They get upset about the music, or they they get upset about the duration of the sermon, or they get upset about something incredibly substantial like the color of the carpet. I mean, and they, they just go ballistic. You go, why are you so upset about a superfluous thing like that? And it's because they never dealt with the hurt. They never dealt with the wound. So he has this doubt in his mind about the supernatural Christianity. And he gets tuberculosis, and his eyesight is terrible. And so he leaves Harvard, and he goes to Florida. And he, and he gets healed up, you know, and he's feeling better. And he comes back. He still hasn't dealt with his junk. He had not dealt with his stuff. He dates this young lady named Ella, and they fall in love, and they get married. And at the ripe old age of 20, Ella dies of tuberculosis. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, he is a pastor now. Did y'all know that? He was actually a pastor of a church. You mean the same transcendental nature mystic guy? Ralph Waldo Emerson was a pastor in a Christian church? He was. Until he got to that point. He says, "I I don't think the Bible's really true. How could God allow my wife to suffer and die? There must be a better way. And so he leaves Christmas Day, 1832, and he sails to Europe... And he has this eureka, this epiphany moment where the Bible's really not true, transcendentalism, mysticism, nature is the answer. And, and it's interesting, interesting. This one writer puts it like this, and he says, Emerson believed he had to live his own life and think his own thoughts. And as a result, he gained a receptive hearing among young, spiritually oriented men and women who were intellectually. Restless. Emerson's message appealed to their hunger for fulfillment that was not available anywhere else. And that's just like the enemy. He, he gives us these doubts, he cuts us, and there's never that wound that wound never heals. And before you know it, a person who was on fire for the Lord, living for the Lord, they're now they're just totally dismissive of the Christian faith. Oh, guys, I'll tell you. I never want that to happen. I, I don't want that to happen to me, and I never want that to happen to you. You say, "Well, how do I prevent that?" You say, "Jesus, come in, be the Lord of my life. The things that I don't understand, would you help me with that?" And Lord, if someone has hurt me and wounded me, Jesus, help me to forgive them. Lord, I know church is not perfect. I know nobody's not perfect. Help me to get over that. My standards are, are like ultra crazy that nothing wrong can happen in my life or in my church or my family. And so, Lord, help me get beyond that. Help me be at peace, Lord, with who you are and help me never to depart from you. Man, I hesitate to say this. There is If you look at the 1040 window in the world, in all these Muslim countries, these North Africa, the Middle East, these places that we're talking about, they're on television, they're just in an uproar. Years ago, I had a friend of mine tell me something. He was a prophet. He, He turned out to be a true prophet. He said the unemployment rate for these young militant Muslim men is crazy high. Hardly any of them have jobs. And he says, and I predict in the coming years, with that restlessness and no job and, and really no, no economy and no hope, something's going to fill that void, and they're going to be a terror in this world. You know what? He was absolutely right. Have you ever noticed when, when there is a void, it doesn't stay void long. Either God fills it or the devil fills it. And guys, I'm not just talking about faraway places. I'm talking about in Austin, Texas. If you have a void in your life, I promise you, you're going to fill it either with Jesus or with the things of this world. And I'm appealing you to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to fill that vacancy, that, that chasm, that void uh, in your heart. Last thing I want to share with you is a word of it's good news. It's the word of exaltation. If you're taking notes, it's the last thing there in your notes. It's a word where Jesus says, I'm going to exalt the one... Uh, Who will overcome. And the word overcome, it means that you don't abandon the faith. You you, you hang in there. And by God's grace, by God's inspiration, hallelujah, and your your perspiration, you, you overcome. And Jesus says, and when you overcome, those who overcome, notice what he says. He says, I will grant them to be able to sit on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So the word of encouragement is this. That Jesus Christ has overcome. And he says, and by the power invested in me to overcome death and burial, now resurrection, exaltation, as I've overcome and I sit at my Father's throne, I will empower you. Now what I think he's saying here, what I believe, is during this millennial reign of Christ, those of us who know him, have served him, in some way we're going to be given authority and we're going to be to overcome, we're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. I don't understand how all that works out, but I sure do like it, Amen. I don't know how all that transpires. I don't know how all that manifests itself, but I sure do like it. Somehow, some way, in the end, God wins, God's people win, and we, and we overcome and we celebrate with him. There's a couple of songs I've got in my, in my mind. It's been a while since I've broke out in song. Don't, don't be worried. I'm not, to, I'm not to unbreak it right now. But there's some, some lyrics of words here, and I want you to hear this. This is a song written years ago by Steve Camp. And I, mean, I used to sing it as a, as, a, as a young man, probably 17, 18 years of age. I knew this song. It said, For I've been living in Laodicea, and the fire that once burned bright, I let it grow dim. And the very things that I swore that I would die for, all of these have been forgotten. Now the world has become my friend. Is that not strong? And the very one I swore that I would die for, that's all been forgotten because the world has become my friend. A lyric of another song that Avalon sings with these words. If we serve the Lord with passion, what would be the reaction? If we serve the Lord with passion, what would be the reaction? Father, I'm praying today in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm praying for vitality, for zeal, for enthusiasm. Lord, I'm praying that you would so work mightily and so powerfully in our church and in in our very hearts, Lord, that you would cause us, you would cause us, Lord, to be a people of God that are after your heart, serving you, loving you, our relationship with you, not waning, not dissipating, not, not falling backward. Lord, I pray today there are some within the sound of my voice, Lord, they are in the valley of decision. And Lord, they are wrestling with what they're going to do with their lives, Lord, I pray for them. I pray, God, before it's eternally too late, that they would give their lives to Christ. That, Jesus, they would say, we believe, Lord, we believe that you died on the cross for our sins. We believe that you were buried, and on the third day, you arose from the dead. And, Lord, I pray even now that that same person and persons would say, Lord, by faith, I invite you to come into my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord, be my King before it's too late. Lord, I thank you for the young man that I just met a few minutes before this service. A brand new believer that's in our church today has given his life to you. I pray for him. I pray for others just like him, Lord, that they too would would be strong, Lord, and they would see that that Christ is worth it and Christ is worthy and, and Jesus, they would just be infused with a divine zeal and fervor to serve you. Lord, I pray for many, God, that they're living in Laodicea, they're Christianity is tepid, it's anemic it's lukewarm and Lord they are no threat to the kingdom of darkness and really they're not a whole lot of benefit for the kingdom of God so Lord I pray for them I pray Lord that even today you would extract them from their complacency Lord they would they would say you know what I need to be on fire for the Lord there was a time when I once was there was a time that I would witness to everything and everybody that came into my presence. There was a time I would I would love to go to church. There was a time I would serve. There was a time I would gladly give. And yet over time, incrementally and slowly, their hot fervor and zeal has deteriorated into a lukewarmness. Lord, I pray for them. I pray, God, they would hear the words of Jesus when he said, I love you. I want you back. I knock. I knock on the door of your heart to invite me back in and my fellowship would be with you and be sweet. Lord, I pray that would happen even today. I pray, Lord, that wayward sons and daughters would come home and be reunited with a holy God who loves them so passionately. And, Lord, I pray for for those that are here today that, that God just need to be reminded that you do win, that, Lord, this is a very trying time in which we live. But, God, we have to have faith. We have to believe because we know, Lord, that in the end, you always prevail. And, Lord, finally, I'm just lifting up those that are in this church for such a time as this. Lord, at this season in their life, while they're in this city of Austin, that, God, they may be here for the rest of their lives, or they may be pilgrims passing through, that, Lord, today you would reveal to them that this is the place, that, God, this is the church that you want them to be a part of. Lord, you would remind them that this is not a perfect place. This is a place in process, but this is a place that's going to honor Jesus and his word. We're going to honor evangelism and missions and take the gospel to the far reaches of this planet. Lord, I pray that you would bring them. Let them be a part of our church family. Even today, Lord, they'd come and be a part of our new members class. So Lord, as we stand in a moment, and Lord, some of us will stand and we will sing these songs, these lyrics that are coming on the screen, that Others, Lord, they're just going to stand. They're going to be moved deeply by the Spirit of God. And, and Lord, they're going to do business with you. I really believe that many's, many hearts will be turned back to you. And there will be this fervor and this zeal and this excitement of the Holy Spirit that they have not experienced since many days gone by. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask you, Lord, to do a mighty work in our midst, even now. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.